Al Berry. Oh, we're catching up with Connor McDavid as he plays NHL 20. Connor, what do you like about NHL 20? Oh, I played this when I was 10. And Tim Parrish. I don't know if Hooters wanted to endorse us, but I'm going to pretty much end that now. Your food sucks, Hooters. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Welcome to the latest episode of the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry, and along with me is Tim Parrish. And today we are going to talk about what are we going to talk about? There's not a lot to talk about. The NHL really needs to give us something to talk about, don't they? They they do, other than speculation and and uh, getting our hopes up for something that may never happen. Right, so they've been they've been pitching this idea of um, resuming play at eight or nine different sites. Um, I, I read an article on NH, NHL.com. They didn't say what sites because that would be the first speculation. Like, ooh, where are they going to play? Are they going to be in Chicago? Not that I'd go to any of the games, but uh, you know, I I mean, are they going to be in some like they're going to build a rink in the middle of the desert that nobody can get to, so that fans don't aren't tempted to like come and watch a hockey game well you have to you you can basically narrow it down so batman's already said that they're not going to play anywhere that that is not a stadium that's equipped to hold an nhl type production so that's going to throw out most of the minor league um not ahl but most of the minor minor league arenas and junior type arenas yes so now you're left with NHL and AHL. Now I look at all the cities where there's still shelter in place or restrictions on gatherings and all of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. based off of their timeline. Mm-hmm. So throw those cities out and now you're left with, you know, a few places. And I, I bet you could probably whittle it down to about a dozen or so. Yeah. So. I'm not that interested in doing the detective work. Neither um, am I. Cause like cause... I said, it's all speculation and until you're going to turn around and say, this is what's happening. I don't care. I mean, one thing they talked about. I did about, care, but now I don't anymore. Yeah. I'm, one thing that uh, they talked about was that the facility would have to have multiple locker rooms, uh, you right. know, which an NHL rink does because they're going to have not only the home and the visitor locker rooms, but they may also have separate locker rooms for, you know, they might have more than one. Unlike, say, like um, Air Canada Center when it was um, – uh, the visitor locker room that was used by whoever visits the Maple Leafs also uses the locker room, whoever visits the Raptors. And that's how that coronavirus spread from the NBA, NBA players to some of the Ottawa Senators players because it was that shared visitor locker room. So you would need to have a place that had like four locker rooms. So like while, uh, teams are playing, you know, the other two locker rooms could be cleaned down and cleaned and disinfected before the other, the next set of teams go in there. Cause you know, they're going to just like back to back games. It's going to be like men's league hockey when they have like four games in a row that night, which makes me wonder would they just pay the same referees. I know like beer league hockey referees, they always want to work back to back games. That's always more desirable for them because you know, they, they, they drive to get to the rink and then they get to officiate two or three games in a row. And then, you know, as opposed to just showing up to officiate one game. So I just want 
wonder if they'd probably rotate the refs. Obviously, they wouldn't have them. Uh, I just think it'd be funny, though. You know, are NHL like, refs played, paid hourly or are they paid salary? I but no, they're paid salary. But you're not going to have one referee officiate or two referees and two linesmen officiate four games in a row. But it'd be oh, funny. Oh no, I wouldn't see that. Two maybe. You never know. Yeah. Um, so I want to just read this quote really quick by Gary Bettman because I thought it was interesting. Boo. Boo. Oh, just by the mention of his name. I'm the only person who does not boo Gary Bettman. I, I, he comes on the TV and I stand up and I applaud the man because he made hockey into what it is today. Yes, but it's, it's the whole, just like throwing your hat on the ice during a hat trick. It's just tradition. Yeah, but see, here's the thing. See, see, a lot of these hockey fans, a lot of you kids out there, see, you don't remember in the NHL in its 75th anniversary. We all remember the NHL at 100, right, because that happened a couple of years ago, and what a big deal they made in the 100 best players in 100 years of the NHL. And back in the 75th and anniversary. And Malkin. Well, what's that? And skip Gino Malkin. Really? Yeah, he wasn't on the list of top 100 players. Would he be on the list of your top 100 players uh, he was on the list of almost everyone's top 100 right so so the the theory was he was number 101 which is bs but well, anyway that's a different funny, topic entirely what's funny about those lists is that the nhl made a list of um it was something like the 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 10 or 20 best players from 2010 to 2020 and like patrick kane was like ranked number 14 but like he was like the highest scorer among all those players because you know mcdavid only played a handful of you know only played the last half of uh the 2010s and crosby was injured a lot in the 2010s and yet patrick kane was put at like number i can't remember if he was put at like number 14 or like one list had him at like number six and another list had him at like number 14. And these were like NHL.com writers, which I get everybody has their own opinion, but it's like, Hmm, the guy who led in scoring that decade and he's outside your top 10. Ooh, controversy, right? Oh, well his off ice, whatever is such a distract. Okay. We Come get on. it. His off ice bullshit is bullshit, but on the ice, you can't deny that he is, Top two, top three, and for them, and again, I'm not remembering what number, but I remember a lot of people just flaming it, you know, like, oh, way to go, NHL. Guy scores the most points in a decade, and and you put him at, like, number whatever. Well, you know how writers are, sports writers in general. I mean, it's not just hockey. It's every sport. Look at all the players, steroids or no steroids, that aren't going to ever be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, Whatever. That's again, that's another topic entirely. You know, for a different you know, podcast. You know, I hate the to- I hate the term on steroids. Like when they say, Oh yeah, this is like you know, this is like chocolate cake, but on steroids, or it's it's like um it's it, it's like like what's an example? It's like Star Wars, but on steroids, right? Like they always have to like like that's some sort of a qualifier that like whatever it is, it's better than whatever think it is performance enhancers make everything better right so i feel like the major league baseball should this this should be their slogan major league baseball it's like baseball on steroids they could do that 
Right, because, well, literally, it's baseball on steroids, but also it's like baseball but on steroids because it's like baseball but better. This is not watching your kids play baseball. This is watching people who can hit the effing ball out of the park play baseball, right? I don't know. My kids last year had a couple kids in their league that I think they were on steroids. Oh, really? Yeah. When there's 12-year-olds that are six foot two and weigh about 250 pounds, uh, something's wrong there. I thought steroids stunted your growth. Um, eventually it stunts certain parts of you, yours growth. <laughs> now I heard that was just a rumor. I don't think so. Okay. I, I wouldn't know. I, I, uh, I've, uh, I've been, I was straight edge before straight edge was a, uh, was a trademarked term put on T onto t-shirts. Anabolic steroids and testosterone replacement therapy. While they have a place in certain parts of society for medical reasons, um, stunt your body's capability of producing testosterone on your own. Therefore, parts that rely upon testosterone tend to shrivel up without it. Wow. So, yeah. so anyways, Gary Bettman. <laughs> Enough of the health lesson. Let's yes. move on. <laughs> okay, our tangents within tangents, right? Yes. So yes. Gary Bettman, boo. Okay, so Gary Bettman said, we'd like to complete this season. We'd like to award the Stanley Cup the most treasured trophy and the most historic trophy in all of sports. And our fans are telling us overwhelmingly that that's what they'd like us to do because people have an emotional investment in this season already. I My emotional investment has kind of went like this. It's weird, you know, it kind of, it, it, uh, it's on the backside of the bell curve. Yeah, I mean... Okay, granted, the Blackhawks were not having the greatest of seasons, but I like hockey. I like hockey, and you know what? I mean, well, I like... nothing better than playoff hockey. I love playoff hockey, and... and, and uh, but even regular season, I could watch any two teams. And so um, I get it that the NHL wants to have... They want to finish their season. They want to get that TV revenue... They want to, you know, because that's going to make everybody money. So they want to try to make this happen. And the players seem interested in making this happen. Except for who's the one player who was just like, it ain't happening? The Kings player. Was that Drew Doughty? Yeah, Drew Doughty said it a couple times. Yeah, okay. I agree with him. Um, would I like to see the season finish? Yes. If it did happen somehow, would I watch it? Of course. Because there's nothing else on TV. We've gotten to the point where now their shows are just, not only are they showing reruns, but they're showing reruns from, like, a long time ago. Like, even, like, the talk show hosts that I like, like um, Seth Meyers and, and um, uh, Trevor Noah and uh, Stephen Colbert, they're even showing reruns from, like, you know, a couple weeks ago. So they're, like, not even pre-quarantine reruns. But it was funny because, like, I had the TV on. I'm like, what the hell's wrong? I was like, just flipped on the tv it was on a, a cbs and it was showing a soap opera which i don't watch soap operas but i just had it on cbs when i turned it on and it was like those a, were still on it dude but they were showing a soap opera from 1991 ah like, see i'd yeah. be into that well little, i mean a little guiding light action i guess but it, it's just like guiding light right um no i think it was the young and the restless actually but um it was just like that. yeah because they were it's just like okay because i'm like why does it look fuzzy and cut off and then i hit info and then it showed that it was an episode from 1991 and i'm like oh okay you're going retro i guess cool 
hey, there was actually live sports on TV yesterday. So, sumo wrestling or Korean baseball? NASCAR. (laughs) Which which begs the question: Is NASCAR a sport? I would argue that it is. And we'll and if I speak any further, I may piss off a bunch of people. Well, no, this is. So I'll keep my mouth shut. This is my metric for if it's a sport. Do you sweat while doing it? And I would argue that in those flame retardant outfits and the helmets and in the cars with the engines going, you know, a hundred miles an hour and the heat that they must kick off. Yeah. They probably break a sweat. Well, using that logic, I'm a big guy. So every day of my life is a sport. <laughs> Cause I sweat all the time. Yeah. But like ESPN showing poker, that is not a sport. I'm sorry. That they is not show esports all the time. That's I don't not get a sport. It. That's it's not people a sport. playing video games. They needed esports in the eighties. I would have owned, man. I would have been like, they would have been like, and here's Sal Barry, world champion missile command player on the Atari twenty six hundred. I was talking to my kids the other day about it, and not to. Here's another one of our tangents, but I was. I don't even know what it. I didn't know what it was. I flipped channels, and there were these guys sitting there from a college, and they were colleges up against each other. And they were playing some game with a bunch of monster trucks driving around, smashing into a soccer ball. And I was telling my kids about it. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's something. Or I don't even remember what they told me it was. It was some, some kind of game. I'm like, do you guys play that? They're like, no. It's for the PC. That sounds like fun, actually. I but are they actually controlling the car? Like, are these real cars that they're controlling? Or are these like No, it's a video game. It's all oh. a video game. No, see, it'd be cool if, like, we were all driving little remote control cars and, like, like chasing around, like, a real soccer ball with it. That could be fun. Yeah, well, this was not that. This was video games. It was all video games. So I was like, wow, that's weird. But, yeah, NASCAR was on. And as um, my, um, my company meeting last week on Friday, somebody brought up, hey, everybody watch NASCAR this weekend because it's the only sports on TV. And... Somebody else pointed out that I'm not watching Hillbillies turn left for four hours. I love it. <laughs> so that was that was funny, but anyway. But I digress. So could you anyway. imagine could you imagine like a Google Maps voice in that car? Turn left. Yeah. Turn left. Turn left. Your in, destination is on the left. Turn yeah. left. In a quarter mile, turn left. Yeah. In a quarter mile, turn left. In a quarter mile, turn left. Oh my God, that would be funny and also annoying. Yes. Um. So, all right. So, I don't. I don't want to say I don't care. If hockey happens, great. If hockey does not happen, it's for the greater good, which is the health and well-being of everybody, whether it's the players, the referees, the scorekeepers, everybody. You know, I mean, there's I went to the grocery store today and there were two idiots not wearing masks. Why? And this was six in the morning. But it's just like, I mean, okay, I get it. That's a different thing. But like I'm thinking like I was I was talking with my aunt today because she's a little more obsessed about this coronavirus thing than I am because she's in a higher risk category because she's older than me by about 20 years. So she has a right to be conservative and worried uh, conservative about going 
out, not conservative in her political views, but, you know, like, do we need to do this today, right now? Could we do this tomorrow in the morning when less people are out? Yeah, that makes sense, right? I, I get it. But um, we were talking about, I told her how Bauer was making face shields for, for healthcare workers. And then she was thinking, well, could something like that work for NHL players, right? To keep them from breathing on each other. And I'm like, well, no, because they, they would fog up because they're breathing hard. And then she's like, well, they don't have to go around their chin. They just have to come down to about here. I'm like, well, there needs to be airflow. I mean, you know, Pfizer's are pretty good about not fogging up, but you still see players wipe them out with the towel. So, yeah, they I don't, get condensation on them. They do. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm, like I said, I'd watch it because it's on. I don't know if I would. If it wasn't on, if this just became another one of those lost seasons because there was no Stanley Cup awarded, it's not the first time. It's not even the second time. Yeah. Well, like you said, I, I, I was concerned about it before, and now I'm like, well, if it comes back, it comes back. If not, we have next season. Well, they're even talking about, like, if this season were to even start up in August and go to, Dece- like, November – and then the next season start in December. And I'm kind of spitballing those dates, but I remember reading about the next season starting in December, and I'm just like, whoa. I don't like that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I like that either. Um, but speaking of the next season, so whenever the next season happens, if it may happen... Um, there's been a report that the Avalanche may wear Nordiques jerseys in select games uh, as the franchise celebrates its 25th anniversary in Colorado in the 2021 season. So, um, you know, what's funny is that the Nordiques, the Quebec Nordiques is the team that everybody liked after they left Quebec. Would you not agree with that statement? Everybody likes nostalgia. I know, but I actually had a Nords jersey back in the day that I, I outgrew it now. It was a men's medium, um, but my, my aunt bought it for me. She found it at a thrift shop in Toronto, and it was like one of my favorite jerseys. And uh, I mean, I, I wore it when it fit me, and I thought it was BS when they left for Colorado. I mean, I, I understood the finance of it. You had this team that was in the smallest market maybe next to Hartford, maybe that was a smaller market, but it was a smaller market. Um, it had an old arena. It had um, only one English language newspaper, if I remember correctly, that published once a week. So it was really kind of like, it was a small market. It was in a country with you know Canada, which the Canadian dollar was plummeting at that time. And um, it did not have a big fan base outside of the French population, other than wannabes like me who wish they could learn French and wore their Nordiques jersey to public skate. You know, I mean, um, yeah, but yeah, everybody likes nostalgia. But um, I, I, I mean, okay, yeah, if they want to wear it, sure, why not? That Hurricanes wore the Whalers jerseys, and that was kind of fun, I guess. Anytime there's throwbacks jerseys, people people eat that stuff up. The league the league profits big time off of that. 
because people go out and buy those jerseys by the truckloads. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the vintage, the throwback. Um, the thing, though, is that I feel that, like, um, like if they, they'd have to make one change to the jersey, okay? So you know how, like, at the bottom of the jersey around the hem, they have the fleur-de-lis? Yeah. And then they also have the fleur-de-lis on the shoulders, right? Left and right shoulders. They need to replace that with a, a hand giving the middle finger on either shoulder <laughs> because that's what I feel like it would be to the fans of uh, Quebec City, right? Like, hi, we're the Colorado Avalanche, and we are wearing this Quebec Nordiques jersey um, because, you know, retro, right? Isn't this cool? Isn't this cool? Like, we took your we took your team, and then, like, the first season, we won a Stanley Cup. That should have been Quebec Stanley Cup. Nice. I don't know. It just seems... I, I feel like there's a lot of hurt feelings still many years later over this and many people are still clamoring for people for, for excuse me for quebec to get an nhl team and not just people in quebec people everywhere they're like look it's, it's a big province it should have a second team yeah they just haven't haven't gotten the right the right group to um wine and dine good old gary yet no, and then they got too many teams on the East Coast, and they're trying to balance it out with teams on, on the West Coast. And, and, you know, we get that now with Seattle. So I guess if they added a 33rd and 34th team, then maybe Quebec would be put in the mix for an East Coast team, and then the 34th team could be, I don't know, Portland or something, right? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, actually, Portland wouldn't be a bad... Um, that wouldn't be a bad spot for an NHL team. I mean, they got a basketball team. With them moving into Seattle, though, I, I, I don't see them doing another one in Pacific Northwest. Too at close. Least for a, at least for a while. Yeah, because you got Vancouver up there, and then you got Seattle, which they're trying to establish that that'll be some type of rivalry. But we'll see. We'll, time will tell. So you, you know, put, an, put another one in, in, in Texas, maybe? I think they should put one in Indiana myself, like an Indianapolis team. Indianapolis seems kind of well. No, it's not. Columbus has a team. Indy's not that much smaller than Columbus. Yeah, that's true. And they got a football team. Yeah, so they have a professional football team and a professional basketball team. Why not? Yeah, I can actually. I can actually see that uh, working. I was thinking maybe Houston would be a good, um, good spot. I think they may stay out of the South. Yeah. Next next time around, but. You know, the uh, the average age of the Colorado Avalanche, by the way, this is just a little side note, 24.9 years. Average age of each player? The average age of the Colorado Avalanche player. And the last time the Nordiques were in the league was 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. So 30 players, about 30 players on the team were not even born yet the last time the Nordiques took the ice. So... That's funny. Yeah. I'd like to see the I'd like to see Nordique jerseys come back. That's always been on my uh things that I wanna buy. Like I, I mean, listen, there's I got a list as long as my arm of jerseys, hockey jerseys that I wanna buy. And then I have uh probably if I stacked them up, it would be as long as my arm all the hockey jerseys that I own. 
I mean, and then, and then even like jerseys, and most of them don't have names and numbers on the back. And I always say, oh, yeah, I got to find a place that could take this Islanders fish sticks jersey and put a name and number on it or can, you know, take my old Ottawa Senators jersey from 1992 and put a name and number on the back and put a, um, you know, a Stanley Cup 100th anniversary patch on the front, right? So I, I always have this, like, these, these, like, oh, I wish I had this jersey and I want to number that jersey and stuff. But I would love to get a Nordiques jersey. And Which one I, you want? Oh, like, well, it'd have to be the blue one. Do you want the one with the, the N or the one with the fleur-de-lis? What do you mean with the N or the fleur-de-lis? Like the N Nordique logo or the one that they had that had the fleur-de-lis? That was never their main logo. It was always an N. It wasn't their main logo, but they had those. That one year they came out with all those third jerseys. They had that produced that as a third jersey. I don't know if they actually wore it in a game, but. Hmm. No, it'd be the blue one with the red N, and um, I'd probably get Lafleur as the name on the back. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, even though I'd want to, I mean, Sackick was the guy. I mean, when you think Quebec Nordiques, you probably think Joe Sackick or maybe Peter Stastny, and you would not be wrong with either of those choices. I think Eric Lindros. That's what I think. Yeah, well. You know, he... (laughs) Too soon? No, not too soon. I was going to say, just a little fun little tidbit, the closest he got to a Nordiques jersey is when he got drafted first overall, and the Nordiques handed him a jersey... And he held it in his hand, and he didn't put it on. And in the boxed set, Eric Lindros rode to the NHL. There's a card of him, and he, you can, he's kind of standing a little bit sideways. So you see the jersey clutched in his hand, the Nordiques jersey clutched in his hand. And I was like, wow, this is technically a card of Lindros and a Nordiques jersey. He's not wearing it, but he's holding it, you know. Kind of like you'd hold a bag of garbage as you're taking it out, you know, right. to the side, you know, a little bit away from you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just fun. You know, one of these days I'm going to just have to Photoshop him in your Nordiques jersey just to just to make like half of hockey Twitter laugh and just to piss off the other half of hockey Twitter, like at the same time. Right. <laughs> Actually, when I think of the Nordiques. Yeah. No, no offense to Blackhawk fans, but I think of Michel Goulet. That's a good. Oh, that's a great choice. I mean, that is a great choice. I think he's like the all-time Nordiques goal scorer. Not only that, but I mean, something that a lot of people forget about Goulet is that he was an all-star a lot. Like when the NHL had the first team and second team all-stars, he was like consistently an all-star. Um, uh, for uh, it was a left winger, and so yeah. he was like consistently like first team or second team all-star. When the Blackhawks got Michelle Goulet, and by the way, that that's a great choice, by the way, of, of of what Nordique's jersey. That would also be a really great one. I just he, remember any pack of cards I bought in the late 80s always had Michelle Goulet in it, it seemed like. Or the early 90s, I should say. Well, 90-91, yeah, because he was, he was on the Blackhawks then. Yeah, I'm thinking 80... Maybe it was 80, 89, 90, maybe, 88, 89. Yeah, Right yeah. around in there. Yeah. No, Goulet was, you know, it's funny, too, because he scored his thousandth point with the Blackhawks, but it was a little, it was a little, um, I don't say ironic, just a little funny, though, because, like, 
he scored most of those points with the Nordiques. Then he comes to Chicago and then he scores a thousand, his thousandth point, and it's just like, yay. But it's like, well, you know, I feel for the Nords fans who probably liked him a lot because he was one of their best players of all time. But I got to tell you, that trade really worked out really well for the Blackhawks. I mean, I mean the, the guy fact- was a 50 goal scorer like four or five years in a row. Do you know who? Who was without looking it up? Because I have this permanently etched in my brain. Do you know who was what players? There were five players involved. Maybe there was a draft pick involved too. I don't remember the draft picks, if any. But do you remember what five players were involved with that uh, trade? With what trade? The Goulet trade. What five players were involved? Yeah, there were five players that changed teams in that transaction. You would know that more than I would. And I, this is where I, I don't, don't remember know, that kind of stuff. This had to be a salary dump for the Nordiques because oh, I'm sure this it was. Trade look makes Mike Keenan look like a genius. Mike I mean, Keenan. You look at when it took place. I mean, they were running to the end of life at that point. Yeah, 1990 trade deadline. The Blackhawks acquired Michelle Goulet and Greg Millen. And they gave up Everett Santa Pass, Dan Vincelet, and Mario Doyen. And I'm going to go, who? Oh, see, now I know. know, Exactly. Well, Santa Pass was one of those guys that was kind of up and down with the team for three years. And Vincelet was another guy that was kind of up and down with the team. And Doyen only, if I remember correctly, played like, I don't even remember him playing for the Blackhawks. But he was considered a defensive prospect. And so it seemed like they were, they these weren't really, I don't want to say they were prospects. Maybe at the time they seemed like prospects. Maybe Quebec thought they were prospects. but um, Or maybe they were players that had potential upsides to them. Like, uh, But I mean, the three of them were not worth Michel Goulet from 1990 to 1994. That's for sure. The big thing about Millen was that the Blackhawks, struggled with their goaltending really since Tony when when Tony Esposito retired like those five years from like 85 to 90 they struggled with goaltending they had like literally like every year they had a and backtrack a little bit Murray Bannerman was actually the starter for a while and Tony Esposito was the backup but it seems like once Tony Esposito retired once they couldn't fall back on him when they needed him um they just they could not get their goaltending house in order until Ed Belfour matured. Um, so Greg Millen seemed like, oh, we're you know we're going to get this player and he's going to help us through the playoffs because eighty eight eighty nine they lost to the Calgary Flames. Flames won and went on to win the Stanley Cup. So we thought maybe better goaltending. Millen was considered a great goaltender. Um, he was ranked as one of the top five goaltenders by Stan Fischler, one of the top five goalies of the 90s. I think they ranked him number five. So he was a good goaltender even 10 years and 10, 11 years into his career. Um, unfortunately, the Edmonton Oilers are just way too good. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was the whole thing. So like, you know, Keenan gets gets a gets a 50 goal scorer and a, and, and a bonafide number one goaltender for a couple of guys that you never heard of. Um, but they couldn't beat Edmonton. But yeah, Goulet, that, that's, that's a f- mighty fine Nordique. 
Did you ever see the unused jersey that they were going to use in the 95-96 season? Uh, maybe, it's, yeah, I don't know. I, didn't, it's I don't recall. like purple and white yeah, I can't and say I've seen that. blue. I can't remember if it's like, a, I'm just doing this off of memory. I could look it up. I'll probably post a picture to it in, down by the links and stuff. Um, it has a dog, like a, uh, like a wolf. Or maybe a, a like a Malmute. I think it's supposed to be a wolf, like a, a barking wolf, like with its mouth open, um, like on the front. And that was going to be their new logo for ninety five, ninety six. Wow. Yeah, and every now and then I see some of the jerseys show up on eBay, and I go, man, I really want one of those because people would be like, I know the name on the back, Sundin, or I know the name on the back, Sackick, but. WTF is that jersey that you're wearing? Because, you know, it's not bad enough that I have to out-obscure people with a Victoria Salmon Kings jersey or a Quebec Rafales jersey. Now to say, oh, this is a prototype unused Nordiques jersey, I think that would just be for the win. People would go, okay. <laughs> That's the end of that conversation. You know, unless you're wearing like a Pittsburgh Pirates jersey or philadelphia quakers jersey or a detroit cougars or falcons jersey a pirates jersey that'd be cool yeah It'd probably be, just a I, giant... think, I, I think they're made of wool though yeah back when they were actual sweaters yeah so um okay so nordique's jersey uh yeah if it happens great if not whatever um Still think it's a little unfair to Quebec fans 25 years later. You know, one more thing I want to say about uh, the Avalanche, that first season when they won the Stanley Cup, and that was great. But I remember in 1996, because I always tried to watch the finals no matter where I was. And I remember in 96, that would have been like around May, I remember I was at a karate seminar when I used to study karate quite a lot. I believe I remember, it's pronounced karate. Karate, yeah. Karate. You know what karate translates to? Karate? No. Oh. Empty hand. Ah. Uh, no weapons. For, empty for when hand. you slap somebody? No, you just don't have a weapon. No. A fist is still an empty hand. I gotcha. So anyway, so I was at this uh, karate seminar, and I was probably testing for whatever yellow not a yellow belt maybe my purple belt i don't remember i never got the black belt but anyway um i got close but i just quit my knees just kind of had enough and it was just time to go in a different direction but anyway um i was at the seminar and it's like downtime and we'd all like hang out in like like all of us because we were all in college at the time we'd like hang out in like someone's hotel room usually we'd pile like 10 of us into a hotel room wherever the seminar was and uh, we, you know, get drunk and play video games and, you know, try to get enough uh, sleep for our belt exams, which are always on Sunday. And I remember that the the Stanley Cup finals were on. So I was that guy who had to turn on the hotel room TV and find the game and watch it. And like everybody else is like, oh, can't we watch something else? I'm like, but but this is the Stanley Cup finals. But, you know. I sat there, I'm sitting on the bed, I'm watching the finals as like everybody else is drinking or doing whatever, playing cards, whatever. And um, I thought to myself, you know what? Five years ago, I would have never imagined 
that the Stanley Cup would be held between Colorado and Florida. Yeah. Like, it just seemed, like, I had, like, a Twilight Zone moment. Like, if somebody said to Sal in 1990, hey, or in 91, hey, in 96, the Stanley Cup Finals is going to be between Florida and Colorado, I'd be like, what drugs are you on? Because <laughs> those teams don't exist. I imagine it's, it was the same same experience when the original expansion happened and, you know, St. Louis went to the finals four years in a row. Three. Like, who is this St. Louis team and why do they deserve a Stanley Cup? They don't, ever. They should take the way, one away that they got. They had to have some interest to get the new fans involved. Interest. They had to have some way to get the new fans interested, so they put all the new teams in the Western yeah, I know. division, it's even silly. though... You know, Pittsburgh and they could have just called it. They could have either given them names, you know, like the Morens division and the, um, I don't know, the Shore division, right? Th- those could have worked um, it, yeah. instead of like East and West. Well, when they were only expanding from six to six, I mean, yeah, you're doubling the teams, but they're still only 12. So, you know, you go to the 21 team era. And then you just start adding teams and adding teams. Somebody somebody coming from 1985 and trying to jump in 10 years later would look around and be like, what? Who are – there's a team in Florida? What? So. No, dude, it's like that when I try to, like, get caught up with basketball. I'm like, well, what happened to the Charlotte Hornets? And, and then I realized that that's just a whole cluster F-U-K of, of a story. Because you had, like, the Hornets, the Pelicans, the Bobcats. Like, like, and I guess that, like, one team moved and became another team, but then another team moved and became the Hornets or something. I don't know. I, I'm not a basketball historian, although I did watch that uh, ESPN Bulls documentary, and, and that's really got me thinking, hmm, I really wish it was the 90s again. <laughs> yeah. It took me three years to realize that the Pelicans wasn't just a made-up name that people were messing with me. Right, right. So I'm like, why would you name a team Pelicans? I, I don't know. Why would I you name know. the team Penguins? Because they play on ice. Penguins live on ice. Except for the one that they brought to be the mascot that didn't live on ice. R.I.P. Pete. Yeah. Or Pete the Penguin. Anyway, so uh, let's get. Oh, um, speaking of penguins, good segue there. You want to talk about this Lemieux kid? Well, I was just going to point out uh, Shane Lemieux that got drafted by the New York Giants, the New York Football Giants. Um, basically, said that he's going to wear number sixty-six as obvious tribute to Mario, although they aren't they aren't related, so I don't have a problem with that. He's a football player. It's a different sport. I only have a problem when guys in the NHL try to wear it. Really? In their defense, it, it hasn't been retired league-wide, so only retired by the Penguin. But, you know, when you have an iconic player like that, you, you always think, when you see that number, you always think of the famous person that wore the number. Like, when I see number nine, you know. Mm-hmm. Tons of guys have worn number nine, but I think of one player. Obviously, 99, you know, you have 
one guy that's worn it in, well, one guy that, the last guy that wore it being Gretzky because it's mm-hmm. retired forever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I feel like 66 is like that, but, you know, that's just me. But no, so that's just, cool. It's cool. Just a quick, just a quick rundown. So all the NHL players, now NHL players, not NFL players, because obviously a lot of NFL players wore 66 because what, it's like a lineman number, right? Sure. Yep. Right. So as far as hockey players, TJ Brody wore 66 for the Calgary Flames in 2011. Yannick Dupre wore 66 for the Philadelphia Flyers in 1992. Josh Hosang wore for the New York Islanders in, I guess, uh, 1718 and 1819. Yeah. Yeah, and then he switched to number 26. Um, He he switched because he had to. Yeah. Not because he wanted to. Somebody named Milan Novi wore 66 for the Washington Capitals in 8283. So that's that, pre. That's pre Mario. Um, but it wasn't even his first. Looks like the, I don't know if it was first number or second number. Hockey reference doesn't lists two numbers, but it doesn't necessarily I'm assuming 20 he first wore 26, then ended with 66, but I don't know. And then Gino Ajik wore uh the number for the Vancouver Canucks in 9091. But then he switched to number 29. So I think a lot of these guys, like maybe TJ Brody and Gino Ajik, um, and probably Yannick Dupre, they those were probably their training camp numbers. And see, I don't have a problem with any of those. Again, this is just me as a fan. You know, Lemieux retired in 06, right? Well, there have been two players that have donned it since 06 when mm-hmm. he retired. And I don't like either of those instances. I don't know. I'm making a big deal over a jersey number. I mean, what does it actually mean? I guess in the grand scheme, it doesn't mean anything, but it's symbolism. And I know Hosang got a lot of flack for it when he wore it, um, especially now with social media as big as it is. People just jumped on his, jumped all over him, and mm-hmm. I get it. But Lemieux said it was okay. And he said he wouldn't have done it if Lemieux wouldn't have said it was okay. And if he asked him to change it, he would have. And, well, eventually, Lou made him change it. <laughs> so, you know, there's that. Oh, Lou. I'm surprised Lou lets players wear numbers higher than 20. He shouldn't. No, because that's something Lou would do. Yeah, it is something he would do. But in the TJ Brody thing, I didn't like it when he wore it back in 2010-11 either. So. Really? I thought it was... Stupid, but okay. But since he played for the Flames, I didn't have to see it very often. All right, so yeah, so great. A we are so desperate. Everyone is so desperate for hockey content that they're going to note that a, a football player with the last name of Lemieux is going to wear number sixty-six for not even the pit. If he played for the Steelers, that would be pretty awesome. It'd be black and gold sixty-six, right? It would. But instead, we're talking about a guy wearing, um, all right, whatever, a football player wearing 66 because we, we miss hockey that much. You got to find something. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're pulling at straws here. Right. So, um, all right. So I want to uh, shift gears to some trading card news until we, before we get into our big topic. So, um Two two notable releases this week. Um, 
President's Choice trading cards, we don't really talk about a lot because they just kind of issue these one-of-one one cards or one-of-five cards here and there. Um, earlier this week, they issued a new set called Equipped, which are these memorabilia cards that have four pieces of memorabilia. They're numbered one-of-one. One. Uh, there's quite a really good lineup of players, Mario Lemieux and... and um, I know Eric Lindros and um, Ed Belfour and um, just trying to think of some of the other names there. Steve Eiserman, Vladislav Tretiak, Martin Brodeur. Uh, and these cards range from $279 to $299 per card, which is too rich for my blood for one, um, for one memorabilia card. Yeah. It's too rich for a lot of people's blood, but they are one of one. So um, I don't think this is like, you know, some of the old school in the game stuff that came out towards the end where it would say one of one, but really it wasn't one of one. It might have been one of nine or one of 15 or one of 18, but it was one of one of that specific color or something like that. These are these are totally different, and they just made the one. So yeah. if you buy the one, you got the one, and there aren't any others. So I find it funny that, speaking of Mario Lemieux, that uh, the memorabilia on the Mario Lemieux card, let me see if I could pull it up really quick, because I just thought this was kind of interesting. Um, the memorabilia on the Mario Lemieux card, let me just navigate oh. over there. Uh, Is it a jersey, a stick, a skate, and a fight strap? Yeah, a jersey... A stick, a skate, and a fight strap. And I'm just thinking, yeah, because he got into so many fights in his career. Hey, Lemieux, Lemieux didn't have guys fighting his battles for him. If he got, is, scr he got in a scrum in the corner, he got in a scrum in the corner. So, well, he's a big dude. He could, he was, he was, still, he could hold his own. He's still six, six foot four. I mean, he's, yeah. he's a big dude, you at know. At the same time, guys took runs at him all the time. That's one of the reasons why he's, his back went out so early in his career. What were the battles like between Lemieux and Lindros, if any? Because I didn't, I wasn't really paying too close attention then, and this was back before when I could watch any game. Now I would watch, like, if Center Ice existed in the 90s and the Flyers and the Penguins were playing a game, I would watch that. Just like now, if the Flyers and the Penguins are playing, <laughs> I'm watching that game even if the Blackhawks are on TV. So I'm just wondering, what, what were their matchups like? You know, honestly, I don't... I don't recall many where they were just pitted straight up against each other. Um, honestly, when you said Lemieux versus Lindros, the one, one thing that pops in my head, I remember Claude Lemieux fighting Brett Lindros um, in a game like 25 years ago. Um, that was interesting, but that's neither of the families. Well, one of the families, but yeah, I don't really remember them being pitted up against each other um, that much, hmm. to be honest with you. Okay, so I mean, uh, yeah, they'd be they'd be against each other, but I nothing stands out in my head. They were probably playing the other team's checking line. Yeah, because I mean, if the if if Lindros was on the ice, the Penguins were throwing. I mean, they were throwing the kitchen sink out there. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you're. I don't think the skill guys would have been out there necessarily. Gotcha. 
So well, I don't recall them like button heads really in my hmm. mind. I mean, I could be wrong. You can go on hockey fights. What is it? Hockeyfights.com and try no, to find No, I'm something. not saying that they fought each other, but I'm just wondering what their, um, what their, um, uh, you know, just if they, they, you know, played against each other. Like, I know they played against each other, but like actual, like on ice, you know, when you think of like, like a player having a nemesis, right? Like how Calgary would use Joel Otto against um, Mark Messier or how the Blackhawks would use Troy Murray against Steve Iserman, you know, that, that sort of thing, you know, kind of like a, a matchup, if you will. But I guess there were no Lemieux on Lindros, like, board battles because they would have been out at separate times. Yeah, I, yeah, like I said, I can't recall anything. Um Well, anyway, yeah, so, so the other thing, um, so um, Upper Deck also came out with some new hockey cards. Uh, they're game-dated moments for week 32. So card number 75 uh, commemorates the Sedin Twins setting the record for most postseason contests played together by brothers. Surprise, surprise. It doesn't even seem like it should be a record. <laughs> Why is that a category? Why is that a card, right? Why the is Sedin- that a category? Of stats, and the winner, and the winner, for the and the winner for the most uh, postseason contest played by two brothers on the same team is envelope, please. La La Land. No, I'm sorry, Uh, the Sedin Twins. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Um, Other than the Sutters, what? Really? Maybe. I can't even think of brothers on the same team that were on a team that was good enough to be in the playoffs that many times. Enough times to, like, make a record for that. Yeah, you're right. Other than the Sutters, because you had, like, you know, you had, like, a bunch of Sutters on the Islanders and then also the Blackhawks and a lot of the Sutters that played for the Blackhawks. I know Dwayne played for both the Blackhawks and the Islanders and Brent played for both the Blackhawks and the Islanders, but they didn't play on the Blackhawks together. Yeah, I was going to say it wasn't nah, at the same time, was it? Dwayne retired. They played on the Islanders together, but Brent joined the Blackhawks after Dwayne had retired. I want to know who second place is. Which, which brothers are second place? Uh, you know, my guess would be, uh, oh, I don't know. No, they didn't play long enough together. I'd say the Richard brothers. But I want to say that Henri Richard did not, like Maurice retired in 1960, and I'm trying to remember when Henri Richard made, you know, made his uh, debut. I don't, you know, I should know this and I don't, but that's uh, that's one guess of mine because they played on the same team and the team was always in the playoffs, right? I mean, you know, maybe the Bentley brothers in like the 30s. Um, oh, the Bentleys, yeah. Yes, of course, the, the Bentleys. Um, anyways, the other game-dated moment card, number 76, Mike Madano becomes all-time leader in playoff points among American-born players. So, um, and in card 77 will be Mike Madano reaches, uh, gets one game shy of 1,500 games, right? Uh, yeah. Was it 1,500? Uh, yeah, I think so.
looking that up. Mike Modano, one four nine nine. Yes, yeah. so that could be his. Uh, that could be his next game day development card. Um, so yeah, so Upper Deck putting out these two cards. They're available on the EPAC platform with the purchase of any pack, and then you could unlock these cards and buy them for three ninety nine each. Now I understand. So um, getting to our big topic here. Um, I was kind of surprised about this. You said you wanted to talk about Tim Peel, the longtime NHL referee. Yeah, uh, I want to talk about all of his cards that he has. Okay, um, which is none because he wasn't in 1991 Pro Set. All right, all right. Have a good night. See you guys later. Because that's the only set that had referee cards from what I recollect. Yeah, I can't think of any others. Ah, uh, okay. All right, we're done. It'll be a very short show then. Yeah. All right. We're out. No, that's not what I want to talk about. Okay. So I want to you... talk about I want to talk about cards with skin. Okay. Is that some uh, sort of game use thing that I should be worried about? No, I'm not talking about cards that may have actual parts of human DNA on them. I am talking about cards that have that nice little annoying cover on them a or protective film, film or protective layer or whatever you want to use to that describe has to, it that has to be peeled off yes so i misheard you said peeled and i thought you meant yeah. peel like tim peel no I mean, oh, okay like peel to peel or not to peel that is the question okay so we're talking about these cards mainly from the 1990s early 2000s there's probably some examples in later years where they were shiny cards that were susceptible to scratching so yes. what the card these are cards that are so shiny so shiny that the manufacturer did not trust the end consumer to not look at them without the proper eyewear so they put these nice little extra layer of protection over the shininess to protect humanity. I think that was the Donruss Eclipse cards, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, but you probably probably thought, wait, Donruss Eclipse? No. Um, these cards had metallic fronts that would scratch easily. So the idea was to put a protective coating of plastic film on them that the collector would then peel off to uh to enjoy the card right so why is this uh why is this even an issue it's an issue because what do you do with this card do you peel it or you do not peel it what do you do with the candy bar do you what do you do with the banana do you peel it or do you not peel it depends do you some animals might some animals might eat the peel I'm not one of those animals, but some may. I knew a guy in high school that ate an orange, peel and all. Ouch. I kept telling him that your body doesn't digest the rind, but he didn't listen to me. So he didn't peel. Was he like a kid in one of the remedial classes? Um, he probably should have been. <laughs> but he'll remain nameless at this point. Okay. But so here's the thing. 
So this has been a question with collectors for years and years and years, obviously, because the first, um, the first uh, appearance of such an animal, in my recollection, was in ninety four, ninety five, when Topps Finest came out, and Topps released this really high quality set across brands or across sports, I should say. Um, so it was available in other sports as well, but, um, here, here comes these cards that are nice and shiny and high quality and thick cardstock and chromium or whatever you want to call it. And they have this thing on them that says to peel this off and remove it. And it raised the question, well, sh should I peel this off? Or should I leave this on? Mm -hmm. Does this degrade the card by leaving the peel on? Or does it diminish the value by peeling it off? And so it raised this debate. And for, I would say, a lot of years in the beginning, when this was something that was released multiple times over you know, a five, six year period. I think the majority of collectors that were out there buying these cards and collecting these cards were on the side of do not peel. I think many of those collectors in more recent times have jumped onto the peel side. So I think there's this line down the middle. So you have the peel side and you have the not peel side. Where do you stand? So um, I remember the first time I saw a finest card. It was 1993-94. They were the finest inserts in Top Premier. Okay. They, had they were also in too. Stadium Club also. Yeah, but yeah. you know what? I don't think I bought much Series 2 of Stadium Club. So I don't remember the finest inserts in that but i do remember the finest inserts in tops premiere and i remember tracking them all down and i remember going to a card and comic book store and they had alex dague and i was like oh my god they have the one that i need and buying it for like ten dollars or whatever and boy do i feel stupid now but back then you know it was like you had to go to a card shop or show to find the card that you wanted and then a lot of times if you found it there was a good chance you might not see it again for a while you know so you would pay <laughs> i overpaid for that card but i do remember that those cards did not have protective film on them and i thought they nothing not. of it i thought they were nice I thought they were nice shiny cards they looked cool i mean i tracked down the whole set of them then the next year 94 95 the tops finest uh, was was its own standalone set, and those did have protective film on it. So, how do I stand on this? Um, the cards are made to be enjoyed, so I peel the film off of them. However, I will say this, a lot of uh, the cards, I don't have every single hockey set ever made especially from the 90s. What? You lie. I know. Crazy, right? These are lies. But, 
Yeah, it just kind of all blurs together after a while. Like, oh my God, do I really want to get a 95, 96 select certified set? Do I need it? Or would I rather buy an old Parkhurst card? Or would I rather try to complete one of my Young Gun sets from, you know, a more recent year? I don't know. I actually, my my whole thing on 90 sets is if, I, if it's complete and it's cheap enough, I buy it without thinking about it. If I don't have it, then I want it. And that's just kind of... No, that's part of my problem in life, I guess, or at least with collecting hockey cards. Now, with these cards, though, one thing I like about player collecting is that I don't have every set ever made from the 90s, but I have almost every Chris Chelios card from the 90s. So I was able to kind of look at my cards and say, hmm, do I have a 96, 97 select whatever or tops whatever? And actually, some of the times I actually saved two of the same card where I would have one with the film peeled off of it and the other one where I'd leave the protective film on it. Just cause, just cause, you know, cause it's for my player collection. But I know like when I bought sets, I bought one set and I remember putting it in pages. I bought it's complete and it must've been one of the top sets. I'm not sure, but I couldn't tell that it had protective film on it at first glance because it didn't have any words written on it so i thought wow these are kind of dull for shiny cards and then after i put about you know 10 of them in pages or whatever then i noticed that oh wait these have protective film off of them so then i went back and i yeah because i remember sitting there and peeling off the film and then it like curls and it sticks to itself and then just like trying to get it unstuck from my hand and throwing it out and yeah i will um if i'm putting a set in pages i will peel the film off and put it in pages if i'm going to just resell the set like if i if you said okay here's a case of 98 99 tops finest i would just open them and not peel the film off because i'd probably sort them into sets and then i'd probably sell some of the sets or whatever and then you know the ones that i'm going to put in my page in pages i'm going to peel off so I i don't know why this is a big issue to collectors because they think it's worth less because it doesn't have a piece of film off of it. I mean, do you remove the piece of film off the slice of American cheese before you enjoy it? But you're talking about consumables or edibles right? that are there for you to eat and consume and then deposit in your toilet later on. We're talking wow. about a piece of sports memorabilia for lack of argument that yep. you're going to keep a trading card a collectible something that's going to stay with you for a while so here's the thing uh, an argument against peeling these right like you said selling the card may detract some buyers looking to have the film intact because there is a whole group of people out there that feel that the card is not, for lack of a better word, complete without the film. And the argument is, just like if you removed a layer of cardstock from a card, it's the same thing as removing the protective coating that was originally applied to the card from the factory. If you take it off, it is no longer, quote-unquote, factory pristine or 
I guess, I don't know what the right word is, but it's no longer in factory condition. Well, I mean, direct from the manufacturer. Well, right? the whole idea of the whole term mint comes from the coin. Mint condition means that's what the coin looked like when it was minted. Sure. Right. So, and which is unfortunate because I don't like using these coin terms for cards, but we're stuck with them. Um, well, if looks are irrelevant to the card, then once it's peeled and part of the card is removed, it's now no longer factory release. It's, it's in its factory lease state and cannot be considered pristine or mint or even near mint in most cases. Now, that's one argument, right? The other, well, another argument would be, and not to, not to go down a path that uh, we've, as card collectors and members of the hobby, have seen over the past uh, number of years. But if you peel a card, you're technically altering it, and altering cards is a hot topic in the hobby, and it's not generally seen as a good thing. So if you don't want to be on somebody's list for being a card alterer then you shouldn't peel your card. Now, of course, I'm taking that to extremes, but you understand the direction I'm going on this. Now, here's the thing. That's, that's just one side of it. But to me, I look at it this way. It's your collection. Do whatever the hell you want. That's the bottom line off the top. Now, beyond that, let's talk about a couple things here. Number one, if you look at every single card that was made that actually has words on it. Words on the of, protective on film. On the protective film. If you look at every one that was made that has words on it. In most cases, it says to peel off or remove protective coating or peel here or to be removed or something of that nature, whatever the verbiage is. Tops finest protector, peel and remove coating. Okay, so Tops is telling you peel and remove coating. Um, I think the um, select says uh, remove protective film. There you go, remove protective film. Later year of Tops finest said top the oh, same thing. Tops finest protector, peel and remove. Now it says coating instead of film. Okay. And so, then this one, let's see here. Remove protective film, remove protective film. Yeah, all right. So most so of them have some case, sort of... Sure. Yeah. And in each and every case, the manufacturer is telling you, remove this film. Why? Well, the film is ugly, and it dulls down the card surface from how it was intended to look. Not to mention... It, like the card, is easily scratched in most cases. That film, I can't tell you how many cards from the finest set from 94, 95, I still have with the film on it, and they look nasty because the film has gotten all scratched up. Now, yeah, did it protect the card underneath? Maybe. Would the card be scratched up? Maybe. But the fact is, the film was supposed to be taken off. And a lot of times, in some of these designs, the film has words all over it, and in most cases, it detracts from the photo of the player on the card. Now, going into something that 
we mentioned beforehand. The adhesive that was used on these film, on the film, can degrade over time, which can cause damage to the surface of the card. If you're going to run right out and grab all of your 94 and 96 and 97 cards that have peel covers on them and go and peel them off, be very careful because if your cards have come into contact with any type of heat whatsoever, that adhesive could have removed itself from the cover and -hmm. applied itself to the card itself. And it's very difficult to get off once you do that and can cause damage to the card surface. Uh, I've seen issues where when you go to peel it off, the lettering comes off of the film and sticks to the card, which because it's a glossy surface and because it's that chrome finish on most cases, you have to get like a uh, like a microfiber thing and try to wipe it off and stuff. And then you run the risk of messing the card up even more. Or... Like the Chelios that you showed me earlier, where one of them looks okay and the other one almost looks like Chelios got sick before the game because he ate some bad sushi. Yeah, his face is green. His face is green. This is a this is a phenomenon that's known as greening. Really? It's actually called greening of the surface. Okay, and and there are instances of this all over the place where you find that cards from this era that have the protective coating on them have started to turn a greenish-yellow color, especially on parts of the photo that are tan or white. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So flesh color of most guys. Um, And, you know, some of the the background design colors Mm -hmm. starts to get this green tint to it. Mm -hmm. So... I don't think manufacturers intended for this to sit on the card absolutely forever. No. So if you're worried about value, grading card companies grade both the peeled versions and the non-peeled versions. And I have seen high grades on both the peeled versions And the non-peeled versions. So the classifications with grades are all over the place. And if you actually look and do the research on final value prices of various cards from these sets, in high grades, you'll see that the difference between something with and without a peel is sometimes less than 5%. The value? Yes. In many cases, the 5% sways, not the way you would think, but more towards the peeled versions. Why? Because I think the peeled versions make the card shine a lot better and look a lot nicer and become more desirable, in my opinion. So I think really, like I said earlier, like just my opinion on this is if it's something you're going to enjoy, you would have peeled the film off of it and if it's something that you were going to resell or buy as an investment or whatever you know you have hundreds of these mika keeper soft 94 95 tops finest cards you know because one day he's going to be rookie of the year well okay 
So, or I don't know. Actually, no, I'm thinking of that was Nabokov, who was Rookie of the Year. But uh, at Kiprasov, um, you know, he's in that set in the World Junior Championship subset. But, yeah, if you were like, I could, I, I don't know. See, a uh, little story, little side story here. Back in the early 90s, the first job that I ever worked was in a comic book store. It was a Cardin comic book store. And I remember when a comic book called X-Force came out. And it was super popular. It was through the roof. Do you remember X-Force? Um, I, no, because I wasn't a comic guy back then. Well, you know who I, Deadpool I mean, is, right? Yeah, I'm not a comic book guy now, only because the Marvel Cinematic Universe made me into one. Okay, so like guys like Deadpool, who's a villain, uh, Deadpool, Cable, Domino, uh, those characters were sure. part of X-Force, right? Um, maybe not Deadpool because he was the bad guy. But anyway, um, I remember X-Force number one coming out. And the comics were came polybagged with the trading card. And depending on what trading card was in that bag, we would sell for different prices. Because maybe when it first came out, we sold them for a buck and a quarter or whatever the cover price was. But then maybe three months later, when all of a sudden it became like way more popular, because I remember summer of 91. So maybe it was our summer of 92. So maybe the I don't know what issue they were on by then. But I know that people were just like losing their shit over these comics. And, you know, oh, it's got the Deadpool card. So I'll pay $20 for that issue. But then they didn't want to open it because it was in the bag. And I said, well, how are you going to read it if you don't open it in the poly bag? Oh, but it'll be worth more in the poly bag. But then somebody else told me something interesting, which I thought was funny. And I can't remember if it was my boss or if it was just another collector. But somebody said, you know, these poly bags that they put the comic books in are cheap and they're not archival because the intention is to bag the trading card with the comic book so that it doesn't get lost. But they weren't thinking, oh, you're going to keep these in there, right? So they used very low-grade plastic to um, bag the comic with. And, you know, you could still find a lot of these 90s comics bagged with a card. Not necessarily X-Force, although you could probably find those in like a quarter box or a dollar box. And the bags will yellow with age because it's that cheap, um, I think it was... I don't know if it was polyethylene or polypropylene, but it was like comic book bags, but cheaper, right? Like really low grade uh, poly bags. And like, you'll even see the same, same thing with like toys. Like I was a big toy collector and finding an action figure with a yellowed bubble, the, you know, the bubble on the blister pack, right? Like an old Star yeah. Wars figure, like, oh, well, that's a nice Luke Skywalker figure, except the bubble is yellowed. Right. And it just seemed that like it was kind of funny, like the cheaper the toy, the more likely that plastic bubble was going to yellow on the front of the packaging. So, you know, these things were not made in mind. Um, I'll give you one more example, too. There was a company well, called Migo. Before you do that, okay. all of those all of those smart guys that kept their stuff in the bag while we were talking here, I just pulled up on uh mycomicshop.com just real quick to see and those same 1991 first series issue number one x-force comics in the bags with the sticker on them 
and the card still inside will net you a whopping or will cost you a whopping two dollars. Now, is that for the Deadpool card or the Shatterstar no. card? Because no. you know, that can make the, all the uh, difference. Yes, it can. Uh, the X Force group shot card uh, is two dollars. The Sunspot card is two thirty. The Shatterstar is two forty nine. Now, if you want the Deadpool one, you're going to have to shell out four extra dollars for a total really? of six dollars. And if you want the cable one, it will cost you half of that at three. Well, you know, it's funny because almost 30 years ago, Deadpool was the most popular character from that whole series. And 30 years later, he is still the most popular character for probably all the same reasons. So it yeah. is funny that it's a $2 card if it has, you know. Yeah, so some, putting that putting spots. that in perspective, though, you know, to get a to get the comic with a card already in the bag for two bucks when the cover price at the time was a buck 50. Yeah. <laughs> so here it's, it's, uh, it's matured 50 cents. Well, and if you were a comic book shop back in the day, you were paying, um, you were probably paying 40 cents on the dollar. So you probably paid 60 cents for a dollar. Let's see. 40 cents on the dollar, so that's 40 cents for a dollar. And if it's $1.50, so then it would be half of 20 cents, so 60 cents. So a $1.50 comic cost the shop 60 cents. Yeah, so. 60 to those, 75 cents. For all those smart guys that left things in the bag and let their comic discolor, there's what you missed out on. Now, I'll say this. One thing I do regret is a lot of the cards from the 90s that you find nowadays or early early 2000s, because of the UV coating on them, a lot of times they stick together. And yes. Having the peel does help protect from, from sticking together. Because I went through a box of 94, 95 finest that I had here, and I was able to flip through those fairly easily, unlike my box of... Um, or unlike my pile of allure from this year that were already stuck together. Really? Yeah. That didn't take long. Yeah, no, it did. So Wow. Yeah. So there's 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 something to be said for that. But other than that, the film is damn ugly. So now I'll tell you one set that I I like. So there was a um there was a set called the Leaf Preferred. Let me make sure I get this this year right. It was Leaf Preferred, yes. Yeah, 96, 97 Leaf Preferred, and it had an insert set called Steel. And these cards were actually printed on metal, front and back. And on the front, they have the protective film, and it says remove protective film. And I will tell you this: I have found a lot of these cards in the wild in rummage boxes for a quarter. Without the protective film. And they do get scratched up. And I'd look at it and I'd go, oh man. If they left the film on, it wouldn't get scratched up. And I would have bought this card. But because this card is made of metal, it does get scratched up. And these are really nice looking cards. And I'll tell you, you get all 63 of them and you put them in pages. They are heavy. You know, they're light by themselves. They're But they're, one card is heavier than a credit card. Just holding it in my hand. So it's like a lot heavier than a trading card yeah um, one one card weighs about as much as a pack pretty much yeah it's a good that's a good comparison um I, I think that like 
I can understand like the whole aftermarket modification thing. Like that's why, like when I bought a set of 8081 tops, and I'm not going to say this is the same thing because they're not, but the 8081 tops had the scratch off discs on them. And I was a collector who was kind of at that point where like, I was trying to do things the right way and trying to have a little bit of foresight, not just throw things in a shoebox. That was when I started putting things into pages. Um, and I thought about scratching the discs off of the cards. And then I thought about it, and I just said, nah, because once I scratch them, I can't unscratch them. You know? And I could, and actually, I went through the painstaking process of, I put all the cards in the pages, and then I bought little sticky labels, like, that you'd use for a price tag, and I wrote out the name of each player on the sticky label, and then I stuck it not on the card itself, because that wouldn't make sense, but on the card the pocket, on the page, right? So when I was going through it, I could say, like, oh, here's my Michelle Goulet rookie card. Here's my Wayne Gretzky second year card. Here's my Ray Bork rookie card. You know, here's my, um, you know, whatever, um, Washington Capitals team leaders card. Uh, you know, like, it was, and and I guess, like, I could see that, like, scratching those off, they're not, you know, then the, the, the card has been permanently altered. But that I feel like that's something that was actually part of the card because that was meant to be part of the card. Part of the idea was you were supposed to guess who the player was on the front and then you scratched it off. Just like the um those tops basketball cards that came three, they were like three little skinny cards that were side by side by side and they were perforated and you were supposed to tear them apart. Right. I mean, I could see like not wanting to tear those apart like back in the day just because they look you know because then they were I, like a standard card i think it's opposite of that i think more people tear them apart back then than they do now oh they did yeah because you could there were like different like there was different combinations of the three players right because so you would tear them apart and, and trade in fact i was i'll admit i saw a bunch of crap about Jordan and all kinds of stuff like that and saw how much some of his dumb common cards were being sold for. So mm -hmm. I was like, I wonder if I have any of those left. So I went through my basketball cards and I find it I found a pile of those. Um what, and I started, those tops cards? Yeah, and I started sifting through them and I, I noticed that I had like three different versions that had a doctor had Dr. J, but in different spots on the panels. Right. Like one he was on the left, one he was on the right, one he was in the middle. Mm-hmm. And there was a different combination of guys on, on any of the sides. So, uh, so um, anyway, so I feel though that like with these uh, cards with protective film, so it is kind of funny that some you know like they can damage the cards twenty years later, and if you peeled the film off and then put it in a page or a uh, penny sleeve, you probably did the best thing for the card, and if you left it alone that probably was okay too because i'm looking like um you know so that you know i i say that i'm the type who peels them but i also player collect chris chelios and chris chelios was in all of these sets in the 90s so i if i can i have two of the card one with the film peeled off of it and one with the film left on it just because just because a lot of these cards are like a quarter or 50 cents so I'd be like, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll get one and peel off the film. And if I get a second one, I'll leave the film on it. I mean, that, now, make, that makes sense. 
you know. But now I'm thinking this one where his face turned green. Oh, and I wanted to mention they were like um, the Mego action figure company. They made um, a lot of different action figures in the 70s. They were most well-known probably for Planet of the Apes, Star Trek, and uh, superhero figures. But they also made Buck Rogers figures. And what's funny is that was like towards the end of the company's life. So they were using, I think, cheaper plastic because you'd find like a Buck Rogers figure and his face is turned gray. Because the bodies were made out of hard plastic. And a lot of times they'd use the same body for different figures. But the heads were made out of like the soft rubber plastic more rubbery or if you remember like a he-man figure how they had kind of the squishy heads yeah. um and so like you'll find like buck rogers and wilma deering and they'll have like gray faces they look like zombies but they'll be mint in box nice because you know just the the plastic ages because the intention wasn't like oh this is going to be in its box for 40 years it's like ah oh, kids are going to play with this and it's going to break in a year and get thrown away and replaced with the star wars figure that they really wanted in the first place anyway yeah it it, it just goes back to it's your collection do whatever you want if you're planning on selling stuff later on just remember that there's a whole group of people that aren't going to want it if it's peeled but if it's for your own do whatever do whatever if you're putting it on display, by all means, peel it. It looks so much nicer. In fact, like the 97, 98 Upper Deck Ice, there's no writing on the, the, the film. But the film is so cloudy and it has bubbles behind it in yes. a lot of cases. And if you ever peeled an ice card from that year, they look so cool without the covering on them. Not to put you on the spot, okay, if you don't know the answer to this, because I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head. Are there any recent sets where they've done this sort of thing? Not that I can think of. I mean, I think after after about 98, I think this became like pretty much passe. Um, if you look at the, I want to say the last year of Finest was 98, 99. Mm -hmm. uh, at least in its original incarnation, and it mm -hmm. had a coating on it. Mm -hmm. But if you look, Tops made another set to back up to that that was as as nice of a quality cardstock and a cover uh, with gold label, and they didn't put a film on gold label. They did not. Yeah. So okay. and then after that, I can't I can't remember really a set after that into the two thousands that had anything really on it i mean there could be something out there and if and if somebody's listening and knows of one by all means shout us out and tell us we're wrong and we suck because i can't think of one well and i wonder why that was maybe the technology got a little better where the cards didn't scratch up because i remember like opening packs of panini prism and they were all kind of like these types of cards they were similar to these cards maybe i'd get a thumbprint on them but they didn't really seem to scratch up. Same with like OPG Platinum. Yeah, prisms with, um, you know, the prisms with plat with um, Panini mm -hmm. and with, you know, the the rainbows with Upper Deck, and you know, even if you go into other sports with, you know, with baseball with Topps Chrome, even the old school Chrome, fingerprints is probably the biggest thing, but. 
I don't think they scratch as easily. And it, it, it could come th- down to whatever finishing they use on them. Maybe mm-hmm. there's some type of UV coating that they use that helps, you know, seal them fairly decent. I mean, Chrome can scratch. I mean, obviously it scratches easier than, you know, a typical card, but, mm-hmm. you know, unless you're, you know, unless you're throwing them against the wall, playing flippy card, I, I, there's the normal, the normal run of owning a card. It, it shouldn't scratch up. Right. Yeah, well, I've pretty much said all I could say about this. Um, I still find it funny that this was a, a topic of discussion. But hey, you know what? Hey, it's it's a good one. It's a it's a thing. I mean, it was it was a big thing at the time. You know, you you had dealers selling cards and swearing that if you peeled them, they weren't worth anything. Um, in, in fact, you know, if you anybody that peruses the sports card forums that are out there. Mm-hmm. Check them out. You'll find threads where people talk about this, wondering what everybody's opinion is on things. And people still have opinions to this day. I, for one, again, feel like you should do whatever you want. Well, but yeah. That's just me. And if, and if whatever you want is you're a player collector and you want every card so you get one of each and you peel one and you keep the other, great. If you're a team collector and you build team sets and you build a team set of one with and one without, great. That's that's the ultimate completist. You know, it's funny, though, that we talk about this to peel or not to peel. Um, because actually, now that I think about it, a lot of the old hockey sticker sets from the 80s and early 90s, I actually have two copies of I have one set that's peeled and stuck into the sticker albums, and I have another set that is in pages for whatever reason, just because, I don't know, just because. I mean, I don't even remember where that started. I want to say it maybe started with 87, 88 Panini stickers. I bought a set that was in pages and I looked at it and I just said, I don't want to stick this in an album because that was actually a pretty, that's actually as far as Panini hockey stickers go, that set is hard to find. It's hard to find complete. And it's a sticker set that will actually sell for over a hundred dollars. So, um, what, and I got it. What year was that? 8788 Panini hockey. Is that the, um, I was going to say the Grand Fear cover. Yeah. So, um, when I got that set, I got it in pages. It was like, I bought, I bought a bunch of cards off of this dealer and like a bunch of team sets and different things that I needed. I mean, it was a really big purchase that I made. And he just like a lot of the sets, he would just be like, oh, just five dollars for this ten dollars because I was buying a lot of things. And so when I got the set home, I'm like, I don't know if I want to stick this in a sticker album. It's been in these pages for, you know, 25 years. Maybe they'll just stay in these pages. Right. So um, he said, I says, yeah, about 25 years. So, um, you know, and then I think I started buying other sets and just leaving or putting them in pages, which I don't know why I would do that because they take up more room in pages. But I think it was just kind of wanting to have like the sticker stuck in the sticker album because when I go through the album, it looks cool, but they're not mint anymore. They're peeled. They're stuck in a book. You can't unstick them. And also the books 
you know, they get wear and tear on the covers and stuff like that. So, you know, and even like the card, the stickers inside could get a little whatever wrinkled or whatever. So I think I wanted to have like pristine copies of the stickers that would just be in pages and in like mint shape. You know what I mean? But you're talking about a sticker, which has a certain purpose, certain purpose. It's a sticker. So there it's for it's made with the picture with the sticky on the back and it's stuck to its own home where it can live forever or it can be peeled off and put on something else where then it would have to live forever. So you have that difference. This is something I even did though, like in the late two, like 2010, 11 Panini, I actually built two sets that year. One to put in the card pages and one to put in a sticker album. That was a really expensive endeavor. And that's when I stopped doing it because I'm like, man, this is, it's so expensive just to build one Panini set that building a second one was, was a lot of money. It was just too expensive. Um, I'm convinced that every year they come out with these, they short print a a ton of, a ton of the stickers, the the Panini stickers on purpose. And then they don't tell you that they did. And then everybody ends up not, not being able to find certain ones regionally. Mm-hmm, so then mm-hmm. you have to trade with like somebody from California because, you know, you're you're missing, like, every every fourth sticker mm-hmm. in sequential order. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, it, it's not OPG. Never mind. <laughs> All right. So uh, yeah, cards with skin, as you called it, or cards with peels, cards with the whatever protective film. Uh, was our topic so we'd like to know what you think if you even have an opinion on this matter and if you have an opinion oh well everybody has an opinion but not all of our listeners collected in the 90s some of them actually are more newer to collecting um so maybe they they missed out on this whole era of cards with protective film on them you know and i'd like to hear an opinion about that if you're yeah. just if you've never collected back then and you weren't familiar with this phenomenon and you just ex- were exposed to it and now you're going to go out and look for these cards, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You're going to peel it? Or are you going to not peel it? What's your opinion? Right. So definitely let us know. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Puck Junk. Tim is at the Real DFG. Um, and then you, or you can also leave a response depending on where you found this, whether it's Facebook, whether it's on the Puck Junk blog, if it's on the Real DFG blog, um, or elsewhere. Um, also, I want to. I had mention- somebody tell me, oh yeah, go three ahead. days ago that they listened to our podcast on Spotify. Wow! I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. That is awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah, I. Uh, what's it called? Um, it was about a week ago. I met a. Uh, I met a guy from around Chicago named John who started listening to the show and uh, he, uh, I know with all the social distancing and stuff, we shouldn't be meeting each other, but um, he um, actually bought some cards off of me. And then, you know, he he messaged me on Twitter and he said, hi, John, if you're listening, by the way. Um, But he was just like, yeah, I listened to your podcast. I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's cool. You know, like, um, I know, you know, and also I want to give a shout out to um, Finland Finland, you know, number three, as far as like listens, United States, most listeners for the Puck Junk podcast, uh, Canada, second most listeners of the Puck Junk podcast, 
Number three is Finland. So Finland, you get silver. Way to go. Finland, huh? So, sorry, bronze. Silver. Dear Lord. I think Man. it's time for a nap. Are you, like, are you like Steve Harvey announcing Miss America? No, but I think that Red Bull that I drank <laughs> is wearing off. I said, Finland, you get the silver. No, Finland, yeah. Third place is not silver. Maybe they give maybe they give silver for third place in Finland. I don't know. I've never been there. I don't know either, but I think it's cool that there are people in Europe listening to this show. I think it's cool that there are people in Chicago that listen to the show that I actually meet. And I think it's cool that there are people in Finland who I've never met who are listening to the show. So if you're one of those it's Finnish, cool that there's anybody listening to the show. Yeah, I know, right? It's uh it's 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 a it's a slow climb, you know, unless you're um, you know, born popular or just some popular dude who just decides you're gonna have a podcast. You know, it's it's work for the rest of us. Well, it's certainly fun, that's for sure. Yeah, it is. So um, anyway, uh, that's it on my end. I think uh, we'll put a bow on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's uh, let's wrap it up and seal it with a peel. Wrap it up with protective film. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And if you like talking about hockey, please be sure to join the Puck Junk group on Facebook, which can be found at facebook.com slash groups slash puck junk. Also, you probably know about the main puck junk website, puckjunk.com. But if not, please visit visit that. And also, if you like this podcast, you like the puck junk uh, website, please consider supporting it by buying a shirt at shop.puckjunk.com. And until then, um, Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast, and we will uh, you'll hear from us again in a week. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk. <laughs>